Our topic this morning is fear. We all have fears of some sort. One of the fears that I had as a young man was the fear of flying. I flew a lot when I was young and I just remember how nervous I was about getting on the plane. You never really saw the pilot. Only thing you ever remember about planes when you're watching the news are the ones that went down. And I just remember being a young man and having to, to fly. And it was just all I could do to get on the plane. And I would avoid trips at all costs once I got old enough to do so, just so I wouldn't get on a plane. And then, without really thinking the matter through very much, I decided to join the military. <laughs> Any of you have ever been in the military, you know that the military has a way of massaging the fears right out of a person. And that was exactly what happened to me. We were being stationed in Egypt. You guys have heard me reference that many times. And we didn't fly in a chartered civilian aircraft. We were flying in this thing called a C-141 Galaxy. So this is a big old transport plane. And you could sit inside of this thing and you could see all of the servos and the motors. There was no insulation. It was designed to carry cargo. And they, would, they could put people in there, but they would put these nets along the side of the plane, along the fuselage, and you're all facing towards the center of the plane. And you don't have any windows, it's super loud, you have to wear earphones, it's not climate controlled very well, and so it's freezing cold or it's super hot or whatever the case is. And that was one of my first experiences going into the military was having to fly nonstop from Anchorage, Alaska to Sinai, Egypt. It was not fun. We took off and everything was fine. It's super loud. It's cold, you know, and you're here with a lot of other guys. You don't want to, you know, you want to pretend like everything's fine. And so every little bump, every little piece of turbulence, you sort of blow off. Well, somewhere over Iceland, they decided that we were going to do an in-flight refueling. And so for those of you who do not know what that is, that's where you come in line with a fuel tanker. And this fuel tanker is, is trying to put a nozzle into the top of the fuselage so that you could fill your, your plane back up. And so they needed training as well. So this was training for them. And I never will forget that we had to come down an elevation in order to get down to where this plane was and get to refueling. They said it would take about an hour to do the refueling. And all of a sudden we started hitting turbulence. And I mean, it was very bad turbulence. The worst turbulence I've ever seen in my life. In fact, on the very back of the, of the aircraft was a big pallet that had all of our duffel bags and all of those things that were just kind of secured down to the floor with these big old wide nylon straps. You know what I'm talking about? The ones you kind of crank down and they pull down everything really tight. We had Humvees in between us and the other people on the other side of the fuselage, you know. And it was just this. I mean, it was just, it felt like you would sink it felt like they said at one time that we fell like 75 feet and then we hit some turbulence and it was almost like hitting something solid. And that's just what it was. And in fact, the turbulence was so bad, I remember glancing over at that pallet of material and there was so much stress on that pallet from the up and down motion of that plane that you could just watch the straps go real thin and then get real as it was stretching. Finally, they did that for I don't know how many minutes Seemed like forever. We had people get sick. I mean, it was not fun. And then, of course, that causes all kinds of other stresses <laughs> when that happens. And then finally, they decided, well, we can't do it. The, it's too, the, the weather's too, too rough. And so we ended up landing in Reykjavik, Iceland. And we ended up getting refueled there, and everything was fine. 
After that, I don't care about flying. <laughs> I guess that's what it takes, right? My wife has a fear of bugs. How many of you are afraid of snakes? Yep. How many are afraid of bugs? My wife's afraid of bugs. One time during Hurricane Ike, we were the lights were out. We were all laying down on the couch, and all of a sudden, I just heard this blood-curdling scream. I, you know, I flicked on the flashlight and everything else, and she was flinging her hair like this, you know. And it was evidently one of those wood roaches had gotten in the house. They didn't want to be in the hurricane either, and it flew and got her in her hair. And I remember thinking, you know, you know. I'm not afraid of roaches. You know, it's impossible for them to bite you. But, you know, logic and emotions sometimes don't work that well. But all of us have fears, you know, bugs, you know, snakes, flying in airplanes. But one of the fears that we don't really talk about that much, and ones that all of us has experienced, and one of which that the Bible talks about continuously, is the fear of man. The fear of man. The Bible says it like this in Proverbs 29, 25. He says, the fear of mankind is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. You can just think about that for a moment. All of the people in biblical history that were afraid of, of, of mankind got in trouble. Think of King Saul. Remember King Saul was afraid of man. He was afraid that the, the troops are going to leave him. And he ended up making a sacrifice that was not authorized, and it cost him the kingdom. You guys remember that? You remember that time where he was supposed to execute Agai, the king, and he did not do so because he was, he was you know, afraid of what the troops would think about him wasting all of the, the material and all of the, the loot that was there. We have uh, King Solomon, who, was a who had the fear of man. He wanted to have alliances with kings of other nations and instead of trusting God he would intermarry with all of these different kings in order to secure his interests because he didn't believe God he was afraid that God wasn't going to be there for him that God somehow was going to let him hang and so we're going to be talking about the fear of man and I had to define it and I wordsmith this down as much as I could in order for us to use it in the way that I think that the Bible describes it, and this is how I would define it, that the, it's the motivation, remember, the fear of man is a motivation. It's the motivation behind one's inclination to trust the opinions, the desires, the values, the preferences, the agendas, and purposes of another person or group above those of God. It's the fear of man. You know what God's values and judgments and opinions and perspectives and agendas are, but you select, and we select, because we're all guilty of doing this, oftentimes of choosing gods. That's called the fear of man. It's a motivation. In contrast to that is the fear of the Lord, which the Bible describes, and it's the exact inverse of that. It says it's a motivation behind one's inclination to trust the opinions, desires, values, preferences, agendas, and purposes of God above those of another person or group. I love that passage in 2 Chronicles, I think it's 14, where he says that the eyes of the Lord look to and fro, seeking those whose hearts are devoted to him so that he may show himself powerful on their behalf. It's like the Lord is looking out there for those people who are loyal, those people who are committed to him, people who trusted him. And so we're going to be looking at this, and Christians are not immune to this idea of us fearing man over the fear of the Lord. And in fact, 
in the book of John, chapter 12, verses 34, 33 and 34, we remember that when as Jesus was doing his ministry, that people would hear his ministry and they would believe. But yet it says that they would not trust in him. They would not commit themselves to him because they're afraid. John says it this way in John 12. Nevertheless, many did believe in him. Talking about people who heard Jesus's preaching, even among the rulers. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him so that they would not be banned from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. And that's something that I think you and I oftentimes struggle with. That is something that you and I, if we're not careful, can face, is the fear of man over the fear of God. So I entitled this sermon this morning, Snared, Avoiding the Fear of Man. And the best way to describe this is to understand the passage that we just looked at. Proverbs is obvious, it's Hebrew poetry, and it's written in such a way to make um, very poignant points and very pithy statements, very short statements. And it's Hebrew poetry. And so you read it a little differently than you would normal poetry. Regular poetry, you have words that rhyme, right? But Hebrew poetry, it has thoughts that rhyme. And so the way that the uh, Hebrew poetry is usually written is it's written in what's called a hemistick. Can you say that? Hemistick. It's a hemistick. See, that's a fancy theological word. And it just simply means is that it's written in two parts, that there's two stems of it, two parts of it. And there's different types of Hebrew poetry. You have what's called synthetic uh, poetry or Hebrew poetry. You have antithetic Hebrew poetry. Antithetic would mean the first part of the verse is in, is in the exact opposite of the second part of the, of the verse. You have synonymous parallelism, that kind of parallelism, antithetic parallelism, all of these different types of Hebrew poetry. Well, this one is written in antithetic parallelism in which the first part of it gives you a concept and then the second part of it is the exact opposite. And so we can see how that fits with the snare. And it says that the fear of man is a snare. How many of you have ever seen a snare? You know what a snare? It's a very simple trapping device. This is actually what one looks like. And you can tell that it's a very simple piece of wire or string or some type of stiff cord that you want to use. And I went ahead and grabbed one and made one out here for us to demonstrate as well. But a snare is a very effective instrument. And the Bible says that the fear of man is a snare. I tried to get my wife to come out and, and do a, a and to do a demonstration, but she said, no, I don't understand how that works. But typically what you do is you just take a loop like this, and this would be longer, obviously, and it would, like the picture says, you would tie this to a tree and you would place this on a trail of some kind of animal. And you would place it there for the purpose of hopefully catching some kind of animal that would be going through here unawares and they would stick their head in there and the head would just sort of grab it and then it would tighten up and they're stuck. And you got yourself a rabbit or maybe a fox or some other type of animal. Well, the scriptures describe that the fear of man is just like that. The fear of man is like a snare. And so if you think about a snare, and if you look at what a snare is designed to do, we, we, we can see very clearly why the Lord says it's a snare. Now remember, all of this is that we have an enemy. Don't even like to say his name. But we have an enemy who's the one who sets a snare. You only, you, you don't, 
fight too much as well in this snare setting scenario, but he's the one who sets a snare for us. And it's the fear of man is what he uses in order to capture you. And so as we look at all of these different types of things that a snare does, the first thing which we want to see is that a snare is something that you can't see very easily. It's something hard to see. And that's how a snare is in your life. A snare, where they would put it on a trail and they would hide it with bushes and maybe in the weeds so that an animal would not notice it as you're walking by. And that's how it is with you. And that's how it is with me. A snare that usually comes into my life is not always something you're going to see easily. Oftentimes, it might even be seen as something good. Like you might think that your politeness is really in an effort to be nice, but oftentimes it can be for the purpose of wanting reciprocation. Sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes your niceness is not niceness at all. Sometimes your niceness is with the hope that somebody's going to reciprocate that back to you. It's hard to see oftentimes what a snare of man's going to be. They're hard to see in your life. It's often hard to see. Why is it that I want to acquiesce to some kind of you know, some, some type of thing that's an opposite to God, but they're often hard to see in your life. Oftentimes the fear of man is often, you know, pushed off as I'm just being friendly or I'm just being nice or I'm just being loving. But oftentimes fear is oftentimes the cause of it. The second thing that we can see is that oftentimes the fear of man is on the path of a perceived need that you have. The fear of man will cause you to compromise your integrity or compromise the things of God because of some kind of perceived need that you think you have, such as a need for security. All of us have a need for security, but oftentimes when we look to other people to provide that security in opposition to God, we find ourselves compromised in order to get that security. Everybody needs a sense of significance in their life. But oftentimes if we're looking at people in order to, to get that significance, and if we habitate, and if we want people to like us, and we want to cooperate, and we want to move with the flow, oftentimes those types of things are a perceived need that we think that we have. Sometimes I think that I need to be seen as competent. It's a perceived need that I think that I have. Sometimes I want you to think I'm smart. Sometimes I'll buy things in order to look a certain way. Sometimes, you know, women, I don't know about you, but us guys sometimes struggle with it. It's a lot of the money that you spend in order to look attractive, but it may be money that you can't afford to spend. And so we find ourselves desiring the love and the admiration of others instead of for God. Oftentimes we may date somebody because of the fact that we have a need for security may not be a believer, maybe some kind of other area in your life, and you find yourself compromising who you're going to date because of the fact that you have this need to be desired, or maybe you have this deadline that you need to be married. Or perhaps you want to be seen as successful, and so you end up spending money on things that you know the Lord doesn't want you to spend that you just simply can't afford because of the fact that there is a perceived need that you have that's there, and that's how it snares us. Oftentimes, we're going to compromise the, our convictions that we have about relationships. Sometimes we can compromise our convictions that we might have about our career and how to get ahead. Sometimes we can compromise our convictions about finances and all of these different things. So oftentimes the snare is often something that is perceived as a need. You need this more than to obey God. And all of us are subject to this, to be approved of, to be liked. And there's nothing wrong with those things. 
There's nothing wrong to be accepted. There's no one no, no wrong to think that you're nice and you're sweet and you're smart and all of these other things. But when it ever gets to the point to where in order for you to get it, you'll sin it, to, you'll sin in order to get it, or sin when you don't get it, then that becomes a problem. When you violate the principles of God and the, the opinions and the perspectives and the agendas of other people begin to become more important than your convictions with God, then people pleasing become a snare. And it's becomes a snare in the path of your perceived needs. God is the one who's supposed to provide those needs. But oftentimes we look to people to do it. I need to be accepted. I need to be liked. I need to be loved. I need to be funny. I need to be secure. All of those things are areas in which you and I can get snared up in. We find ourselves oftentimes compromising in that way. Am I the only one that sees that? Also, too, the thing about mankind and the love for mankind and the way Satan does it is that the snare that you face is uniquely shaped for you. The snare that Al has may not be the same snare I have. The enemy may not use the same thing he uses to snare up Al that he uses me. It's uniquely fit for you. It's like these animals. You know, if you had an animal that was really low to the ground, you would place this down. That's what Satan does. He makes sure that snare is nice and easy for you to get down in there. And then he'll make it small enough and he might shape it. You know, if you're a rabbit, you might have a certain shape so that whenever it goes through, you know, and you do this through trial and error, you go hungry, you get creative on how to catch animals. But Satan does that for you. He knows you. He's been watching you walk. He's been watching you grow up your entire life. He's been watching me. He knows exactly the things that are in our life that snare us up. And so the snares that God allows Satan to use oftentimes in our life in order to train us, in order us to learn to be dependent on you is really uniquely shaped for you. It may not tra trap another person, but it will trap you. And Satan knows what that is. It might be a desire to be liked. It might be a desire for you to, to be seen as smart. So you'll throw that degree at the end of your name to make sure everybody knows that you went to college. Maybe it's some kind of other need that you have. Be very unique for each one of us. Another thing that the snare does is it makes us vulnerable. Vulnerable. An animal, when it gets caught up in a trap, it cannot leave. It cannot protect itself. It cannot find shelter. And it's vulnerable to all the other animals that are around. And that's the same thing with us as well. Is oftentimes the love of man can be something that makes us vulnerable. It makes us vulnerable to the wishes of other people. It makes us vulnerable to the, to the desires and the preferences of other people. We find ourselves acquiescing to situations and people and events in such a way that we wouldn't otherwise do if we just didn't need them to lighten me or to feel like that we are, if that doesn't meet some kind of need that I have in some way. And so you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to this fickleness of every person. You're vulnerable to the fickleness of your spouse. You're vulnerable to the fickleness of your kids. You find yourself trying to receive their love and receive their care. And there's really nothing wrong. There's no reason why you're, you should not be liked. There's no reason for you not to feel secure. There's no reason for you to feel competent. There's no nothing wrong with that, but it's the means by which we use in order to get it. And oftentimes we use people to do that instead of God. And whenever we are not getting it from God, whenever you and I are not fearing the Lord, then oftentimes we look to people as a means to provide these basic necessities that we have, that He created us to have. And so not only are you vulnerable, but it also keeps you from making progress like an animal as well. 
as you're going down through the trial, you're going to your watering hole, or maybe you're going to your feet hole, and it keeps you from making progress as well. And I can't help but think about how the, the fear of man keeps us from making progress as well, because we are strapped to the desires, the wishes, and the opinions of other people. Sometimes it'll cause us to be fake in a relationship that we really should be confronting in, but we'll be fake because of the fact that we cannot stand confrontation. We'd rather have harmony than to really get to the root issue of, of a matter. Growing as a Christian is going to be hindered whenever we have the fear of man because we have to fear God in order to grow God. It's a challenge for us to put aside the things of our own desires and the desires of this world and to pursue the things of God. And so it hinders your progress. But also, too, the fear of man eventually, if you do it long enough and you're trying day by day and you're trying to keep everything to look just right, dress just right, drive the right thing, have the right attitude, say yes and smile when you need to and be pretty and go and get surgeries to help actuate things that need to be actuated and all these other things. And we do all these things for the, at the expense of our relationship with God. It's exhausting. Isn't it exhausting meeting the needs of other people? Isn't it exhausting trying to keep other people happy, trying to live the life that they expect you to live rather than the one God has called you to live. It keeps you from making progress. It's exhausting. And unfortunately, I don't know how many of you know it, oftentimes you have to be rescued. You can't rescue yourself from the fear of man. Just like a snare, oftentimes an animal gets themselves in such a bad mind that not only are they exhausted, they become weaker and they're unable to escape. And that's the same thing with the fear of man is that it will often take somebody else to rescue you. And that's what God's doing. Sometimes God allows us to get to the end of our rope. He allows us to get to the end of ourselves. Sometimes he allows us to get to the end of our resources in order to live the way he calls us to live. He died for us. He lived for us. He wants us to have his opinions and his desires and his agendas. He wants us to have those things in the forefront of our mind, not the things of man. He wants us, oftentimes he allows us to fail. He allows us to go from relationship to relationship. He allows us to go from job to job. He allows our bank account to completely become deleted because of the fact is that we somehow feel like that we have to receive that from something other than God himself, the security or the comfort, whatever that is. It's a snare. It snares you up. It grabs you. It holds you just like any other regular snare would. And you have to be rescued. That's why definition of God, the fear of God is so important. Because instead you prioritize God's agenda, God's preferences, God's um, ways above man's. And so you find out that the Lord protects. He says that the, that the fear of man is a snare. But the one who fears the Lord is what? Protected. The one who fears the Lord is protected. That word can also mean to be exalted or lifted up out of the way of harm. The fear of the Lord is our protection. The fear of man is fickle. The fear of man is always temporary. The fear of man is always going to be self-centered. The fear of man is always going to be something that's going to take us towards the things of the world instead of, instead of the things of God. And it's hard to see for us because oftentimes we, we can't recognize the fear of man. We sometimes think, well, we're just being nice. We're just being helpful or we're just being servants. But oftentimes it's because you need approval or you need to be accepted. As a pastor, that's something I struggle with, right? Imagine pastoring a church of 70 people or so 
And I have to keep in mind, I can't allow one or two persons to kind of dictate the direction of our church at the expense of everybody else. I have to say, okay, that is a concern. That is something that we need to do or not do. But the other issue is I have to keep my heart tender towards the Lord about why I'm doing it and what I'm doing it for. It's really easy between spouses. We saw that video at the opening of how, <laughs> how the guy was just asking him if he wanted coffee, but he was so insecure about saying no and not one that they, that they, could, they couldn't get anything done. Have you ever felt that way as well? So it is a, a real problem. But oftentimes we need to recognize that the fear of man is never going to take us where we want to go. Now, God protects us. He protects our path. The Bible says that you and I, that he guides our path. Is that if we are following the Lord and not following man, that, that means our path is going to be sure. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have rough times on our path. It doesn't mean you're not going to have problems. Not it doesn't mean you're going to have rough patches in your marriage or you're not going to have children that are not going to rebel. But the issue is, is that you're going to have your path, your overall path is going to lead towards good. It's going to lead towards God. It's going to lead towards him. God protects our, your heart as well. Whenever you fear the Lord, that protects your heart. The desires that you have are refined when you get into the habit of, of fearing the Lord. The things that you lust after are refined and they're redirected. The Lord protects your heart. The things that you want change. The things that you see as important change. You ask yourself when you go and you get dressed and you're wearing, if you're a guy and you're wearing the muscle shirt and you go, why am I wearing this really? Well, for me, it wouldn't make much sense. But for some of you other guys, or for a woman, it's like, why are you wearing that sweat, that tight sweater, really? What's the real reason for that? All of us have our affections and our desires that can be affected by that. It touches all areas of our life. And so God, fearing the Lord, we get to the point where I don't really care what you think. I want to do what God wants to do. And my heart begins to be attracted to those things. It also protects my identity. I know who I am. I don't need you to, I don't need you to validate me. I don't need you to be the one who's going to give me my sense of security because yes, I mean, I've liked security. I'd like for you to value me and I'd like for you to, to like me. I would like for you to see me as respectful or competent or intelligent or handsome or whatever the case is. I like that, but I don't need it. See, because I have God to do it. He provides it for me. I have everything I need with God. And if you want to give it to me, great, but I don't have to have it. And so God protects your identity. You know who you are. You're not going to be to and fro with the, with the whims of other people. It also protects your progress. God has a progress for you to walk in his righteousness, to walk in the ways of Christ. And so to fear the Lord is on the path of us following him. And the progress that we make may be slow at times and fast at times, but oftentimes the fear of the Lord brings progress to our relationship with him. So I think it's a very effective analogy that he uses for the snare. The fear of man is a snare, but the person who trusts in the Lord is protected. The person who is trusted is protected. So the question is, is difficult. It's difficult oftentimes to see our heart like the passage that was read earlier. The human heart is wicked. Who can know it? So one of the questions that you can ask yourself is, number one, is that you can't just you can't just uh, turn this off and on. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to start fearing the Lord. 
do that. Jesus was, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And he said, don't fear men, but fear God. Don't fear one who can kill your body, but then after that can do nothing. But fear him who can kill your body and cast you into hell. So God, doesn't say, God says that the, the key to us beginning to fear the Lord is not to have no fear for man, because there is a certain appropriate amount of fear that we need to have for men. The fear for government authorities is something appropriate. The fear that um, you know, a, a child should have for his parents is appropriate type of, a, of fear that is the appropriate type of fear of man that we're supposed to have. But all of those are underneath the fear of God. Those come underneath the umbrella of the fear of God. The reason I want to fear my parents, yes, my dad has a belt and he knows how to use it, but ultimately the goal is I want to fear my parents because of God. I want to fear the government authorities because of my relationship with God. I want to fear the other authorities that I have in my life because of my fear of God. But one of the things that Jesus says in order for us to be able to go beyond the fear of man to the fear of God. He doesn't say you're not to have any fear of man. What he says is you're going to have a greater fear of God. It's not that you don't have fears at all with people, but he says, don't fear the one who can, who can kill you and then do nothing, but fear the one who can kill you and also send your body to hell. He's not telling the disciples in that passage that he's sending them to hell, but he's just saying, get it in perspective. You we need to have a greater fear of God. I need to get to the point to where I have a greater fear of, about what God says than what man says. I need to have a greater fear about how God thinks I'm dressing than what other people think. I need to have a greater fear about what God says about my finances and my living as a steward or my living as a consumer. I need to care about that more than I care about what people think. In my relationships, am I a good steward of my relationships or do, or do I fly off in rages and anger and I do not fear that God is listening? I mean, you know, sometimes I'll counsel couples or even friends and oftentimes they'll have arguments and it's so easy for us to forget that during those inter-relational um, conflicts that we often have is that if you're in an argument with your spouse, and I know none of you had arguments with your spouse, but I've had an argument with my spouse before, uh, so I'll use me as an example, is that you know you can be in an argument with her and then the phone ring, you're all mad, yes, I can't believe you did that, and you said that, and the phone ring, hello, hi, how are you doing? Oh, hi, pastor, how you doing, you know? There's this idea is that we forget that God hears us. You know, and I'm not trying to guilt us down here because we all do this, right? But God hears all the conversations we have with people. God hears all the things that we wouldn't want to be caught saying out loud. God hears those things. And oftentimes, we just don't care. Oftentimes, we will take shortcuts in our, at, at our work. Sometimes we'll take shortcuts in our relationship because of the fact we feel like we can get away with it. God says no. So the question is, is oftentimes, how do I know if what I'm doing is something that is generally in the fear of the Lord or whether it's in the fear of man. Well, one of the ways that you can tell if what you're doing is the fear of the Lord or whether it's in the fear of man is how you respond when whatever you're doing is not reciprocated back. You're polite to your wife and she doesn't appreciate it. Mine always does. I'm not saying she doesn't, but I'm just saying those of you who may have spouses where it's not always, or where you're not always appreciative of your spouse's deal, how do you respond? Do you get, do you get mad and offensive? Do you get angry? It might be the fact 
that you're not doing it for her or you're not doing it for him or you know you're not doing it for him you're doing it for him or her and you're the only reason you're doing it is in order for them to reciprocate and so i'll be nice to you as long as you're nice to me if you're not nice to me then you know i'm not going to be nice back but what happens whenever you do something nice for somebody and it's not reciprocated do you get upset do you get offended it's one of those things well i mean you shouldn't be doing it for them anyway you're doing it for the lord you're doing it for them as well but first you're doing it for the lord and so whether they accept it or they don't accept it, it's really irrelevant you're doing what's nice for the sake of the lord but if you're doing it in order for them to like you or to accept you or to reciprocation then what happens is it's polluted and it's probably because of the fear of man that you're doing it you're desiring their desire you're desiring their affirmation and all these other things so what is what is your fear man what is your snare shape like what is it that every single time you go down the path something seems to trip you up what is yours we all have one perhaps yours is you know shame of letting other people know that you're a christian i know <laughs> you guys are going to throw something at me here in a minute but you know <sighs> I was talking to Denise the other day and I was like, what would, how would, I said, I was just kind of thinking about the sermon. I said, what would it be, how would you be if I just was ashamed of you? What would you, how would you feel if, if I was ashamed of you? I didn't want to tell anybody about you. Whenever you were around me, I wanted to stay away from you. I didn't want to talk to you. I didn't want anybody to know I was married to you. How would you feel if that's how I was? Is that I, I was married to you, but I didn't want to have anything to do with you. How would you feel? She said, that would be super offensive. <laughs> That would, be, that would be so insulting to do that. And I'm just thinking, you know, sometimes I do that with God. The other day I was in a restaurant and uh, I was by myself and I usually always pray for my meal. And usually it was, I'm okay. But there was all these people around and I was kind of in an environment to where I kind of looked up to some of these men and I was going to pray and there was a hesitation there. Anybody ever happen to somebody like that? I mean, has that ever happened to you to where you're just kind of like, oh, what well, are they going to think? I'm praying. He's one of those spiritual guys. And that, you know, it's one of those things that just hit me. It's like, man, he died for me. How dare I? So I couldn't, you know, I couldn't just fake it. I had to, okay, Lord, forgive me for that. I prayed through it. I prayed and let the consequences fall where they, they may. But it was one in that simple moment to where just a small thing to pray, like I do every single meal I ever sit down in front of, I'm praying for the Lord. And all of a sudden I get around some people that I kind of respected where I kind of looked up to, and then I was kind of afraid. Doesn't that bother you? Has that ever happened to anybody else? It's happened to me. I hate that. That's so offensive to the Lord. But he's so gracious, and he's so loving in that. So as I was thinking about this, this is, applies to all of us. The love of man is a snare. It trips you up. But to fear the Lord, you are protected. So pray for me. Pray that the Lord would help me be able to Keep my eyes on him and watch the responses that you get whenever you're being nice or you're being polite or you're being giving or you're being sweet. And whenever you don't get what you were, thought you were going to get back in return, how do you respond? What is the initial response that you have in your heart and your life for that? Then you might have to struggle as well with the fear of man let's pray god we thank you for your word we thank you for this great picture that you give us in your word of a snare it fits so perfectly about this and lord it 
is something that I think all of us, all of us experience at some point in our life is that we are faced with the daily choice of fearing you or fearing man is caring what other people think, whether we're going to serve or whether or not, Father, we're going to live for you is a choice that we have to make every day, Lord. And I just pray that you would give us the strength. Help us, Lord, to come to the point where we recognize that to fear you is the path of protection, that it is the path of peace, that there is no way that we can continue to have the fear of man and to make progress in our Christian life or to honor you. We say, Lord, forgive us, Lord, for those times where we decide to regard the opinions and the agendas and the perspectives of other people above yours. Help us, Lord, to live for you. Help us, Lord, to embrace. Help us, Lord, to, to know. Help us, Lord, to desire and to walk in your opinions, in your perspective, in your preferences, and in your agenda. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.